Thank you. Can you please turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4 today? Jonah chapter 4, we'll read from verse 1 to 11. Let's read. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the cord that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that, Jonah pre that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the, for the which thou hast not laboured, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Let's pray before we get into the message. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you once again for your word, and we just pray that um, that we would pre be preparing our hearts right now, and that your Spirit would be working on us, that we might understand your word, and that we might take it into ourselves, that it would be like a seed planted that might grow and spring up and produce life. Lord, we pray that the fruits of your word in our lives would be seen by other men, that they might glorify you and turn to you as Lord and Saviour. And we just pray that, once again, that we would grow more strongly, that we would leave this place challenged, that we might live for you in all things in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'll just give you a recap. This is the fourth week, fourth week, that we are looking at the book of Jonah. And there are four chapters in Jonah. And we probably will go another week. But just to recap the story so far. okay? Jonah had been called by God to preach to Nineveh. 
to preach that he was going or to tell them that he was going to judge them and pretty much destroy them the same way in which he probably destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, their evil had become so great. They had done such wicked things that God said, it's time to judge. But God decided to send Jonah to warn them first and give them a chance to repent. Jonah, being a good prophet of God, he was a prophet to Israel at that time, decided not to go where he was asked to go. And he ran away and boarded a ship bound for Tarshish, which was the other direction. So Jonah, while he was sleeping in the ship, thinking that God wasn't around, wasn't going to catch him, God decided to prepare a violent storm that battered the ship around. So the ship started swaying and people started screaming and, and lives were being threatened. And the people on the boat feared for their lives and called to all their gods to save them. All the while, Jonah was sleeping downstairs. Then they found Jonah sleeping downstairs and they said to the guy, Hey, what are you doing? Don't you see what's happening over here? We're about to all lose our lives and you're sleeping downstairs. They said, call to your God and, and see if he might be able to save you. So Jonah didn't do that. There is no record of Jonah having prayed to God. And then what they decided to do was cast lots to find out whose fault it was that they were, they, they were in such trouble. And guess who the lot fell to? It was Jonah. So then when they said to Jonah, hey, we've got you cornered now. What have you done that we're in such trouble? Jonah confessed and said, well... God asked me to do such and such, and I've been running away. And then they said to him, well, what do we have to do? So Jonah said, instead of saying, let me pray to God, let me repent, turn the ship around and we'll go head back. Jonah said, look, throw me overboard. That'll fix everything up. Just kill me. He wasn't going to go back to Nineveh. So they threw him overboard. And Jonah was sinking very nicely down to the bottom of the sea. Seaweed wrapped around him and, and he was slowly uh, losing his life. But God, in the process, had prepared a fish. And the fish swallowed Jonah whole. It didn't chew him up or anything like that. He was still in one piece. It chewed him. And for the next three days and three nights, he lived inside a fish, breathing. I'm not sure how much activity he was doing in there. But he was nonetheless alive. While he was in the fish, he realized that God had sent the fish to save him. And, he's, and we, we see in chapter uh, 2, I think it is, his thanksgiving, his prayer of thanksgiving, saying, God, thank you for sending this fish to save me. So the fish, after three days and three nights, spews him out on the beach. The fish turns and goes, and he decides to walk then and follow what God had told him in the first place. He walks all the way to Nineveh. That was a few hundred kilometres. Okay? It was quite far. So he was being obedient. And then he spent a few days in Nineveh, preaching, telling them that God was about to destroy the city because of their sin. And as it happened, the whole city, from the king all the way down, repented of their sin. And this is where we come up to today. This is where we're at today. Because Jonah then realised that God was not going to destroy the city. You see, God wanted them dead and out of the way. And he thought that God would do that for him. But God decided otherwise. God was merciful and gracious to the Ninevites. So it says in verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. 
and he was very angry. That's a strange circumstance, isn't it? Have you ever seen anywhere else where a prophet preaches repentance, a whole city of people, a whole nation almost, repents and turns to God and says, we, are, we, we repent of our sin. But the prophet gets upset. The prophet is not happy because he didn't want them to repent in the first place. So Jonah did his job begrudgingly. He didn't do it with all his heart. He did it begrudgingly. And the next thing we find is that Jonah decides maybe there's still a chance they'll mess up. Maybe there's still a chance God will change his mind. So he decided to walk up a mountain, walk up a hill to the east of the city so he'd have a really good vantage point because he was hoping to see some fireworks. He was hoping that the Ninevites would have changed their mind, they'd go back to their old ways pretty quickly and God would start raining that fire down in that city. There was a couple of disciples who walked with Jesus who did the same thing, you see. This is not a, this is not a new occurrence. There was James and John... I think at one stage, who were walking with Jesus and they, they went into a city and the city refused to, to listen to what they were saying. And they turned to Jesus and they said, Jesus, shall we rain down fire on them and destroy them? And Jesus says, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're even saying. Jonah was in exactly the same boat. He didn't want them alive. He didn't want them to repent. He hated them. The hate that he had for these people was so great, it actually blinded him to the heart of his own God, to the heart of his Saviour. We, um, we had on Wednesday night devotion, we, uh, we, we looked at a psalm where David was thanking God for the way he was working in his life. And in this particular psalm, David's family was out to kill him. Mind you, he was the king. And his son, Absalom, decided that he was going to take the throne from his dad and that he, he sent the armies and the people that, uh, that had gotten together with him to go chasing after him. So David was on the run, running away. But in that running, we see a prayer of David to God saying, thank you for being my protector. And then he says, I thank you, God, that... You allowed me to sleep and I woke up in the morning, which means I hadn't killed him. So he was thankful, even though the circumstances around him were really bad. David had, can you imagine, running away from your own family who turned against you and were trying to now kill you. Can you think of many more serious circumstances than that? Yet in the midst of those circumstances, David said, I trust God to look after me. It's amazing the way God works in our lives. And sometimes we underestimate it so much. I don't think we realise how many things God does in our lives to bring us to where we are. Paul made a statement saying that by the grace of God. Right? In other words... If it wasn't for God intervening in his life, if it wasn't for God doing things in his life, he would have been a wretch of a man, a sinner condemned to eternal judgment. And every one of us can say this, exactly the same thing. If not by the grace of God, we would not be here today listening to his word, 
having the sweet fellowship that we have and having him to rely on. God has intervened in such ways in our lives that we can't even comprehend. As I'm growing and learning more about God, I see God working in our lives more and more. Not just in the good things that happen to us. You know, it's nice to get blessings, isn't it? It's nice to be blessed with peace and harmony and and all those sorts of things. But you know something? Even in the bad things that happen, you see God's hand working in the middle of those things, in the midst of those things. Even in, in dire circumstances, we see people's hearts softened and turned to him. We see lives changed. We see people growing and maturing. We see... God doing things that that only he can do. The question we really should ask ourselves today, and this is the the whole thrust of this this, uh, sermon, there's going to be two sermons on this chapter. Can we, despite our circumstances, trust God with our lives? Can we, despite our circumstances? Because sometimes we look at our circumstances and we imagine through our limited vision that God has forsaken us or we somehow imagine that there is no hope or we somehow imagine that there is no way through what we're going through but yet God knows the full picture the Bible says that all things work for good to them that love the Lord now that, that's not, that is not a, a passive thing that happens things don't just work and fall into their own into their own uh, order and work for good just by chance do you think it's chance that things work for good no things work for good because god is in there working for our good in every possible situation and even though we feel sometimes in a really desperate way or we feel bad or we feel dejected or we're feeling demoralized god is working for us god is there working for us and if we would simply see Simply take notice of where God is working. If we pay a little bit more attention to the doors that God was opening in the midst of our, of our sorrows and our problems, we would grow so much more quickly. We'd learn so much more. We'd grow closer to him because we, we would see his heart in all these things. So my question to you today, as we look at Jonah's life here, okay, is... How much do you see God working in your life? Do you see him working in your life? How close is your heart to him today? Because Jonah definitely had, had a struggle with this particular area. And we'll look, at, we'll look at one thing or one aspect of how God was working in Jonah's life and Jonah didn't really understand what was going on. <clears throat> Turn to Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. I want to read four verses. Four specific verses, and I want you to think about what the common word is with these verses. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Got that one? Turn to Jonah chapter 4 verse 6. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Verse 7. 
But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. Verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah and he, that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. What's the common word in those, in those four verses? Prepared, isn't it? Prepared. God prepared the fish. God prepared the gourd. God prepared the worm and God prepared the wind. Now you might say, what do all these things have to do with this? Well, we're going to look at these four specific things today and we're going to find out how God actually prepares and works in our lives and people's lives and, what, and how he actually does things. So we're going to look at it, the way he worked in Jonah's life. So the, the common word, and you all got it, was preparedness. God prepares beforehand. How can he do that? Well, guess what? He knows what we're going to do. He knows already how we're going to react. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our strengths. So he knows already what's going to happen. And he prepares stuff beforehand in order that we might be saved, in order that we might learn lessons from these things. Let's look at the first one. God prepared the fish. Jonah 1.17 Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The first thing I want you to understand, what does a fish teach? Is that God is a source of salvation. God is the source of salvation. Salvation comes from God. And let me, let me just clarify that. Could Jonah have done anything to save himself when they threw him overboard? The answer is no. He was in the middle of the sea and he was sinking. He wasn't swimming, he was sinking. The fish was prepared by God. Jonah had nothing to do with the fish. Jonah wasn't even aware of the fish. And the same way God provides salvation to people. You know something, this world is drowning in sin. Literally drowning in their sin and they don't realise it. Their gasps for air, their gasps to live are slowly fading and they don't see it, that they're drowning in sin and eventually they will die in that sin. And the death that they will inherit will be eternal. And they have no way to save themselves. They have absolutely no way. They can't swim their way out of it. They can't, they can't do anything. They can't come up with any, any uh, ideas. They are headed down and down very quickly. But the wonderful thing about God, and when we look at Jesus Christ, is that Despite all that picture of sin, let's say, the, let's say all the water, the watery grave that Jonah was sinking in was a picture of sin. That fish, if that fish was Christ, he immersed himself in our sinful world in order to save us. You thought about that? Didn't have to come into this world. This world is heaped of sin. God didn't have to send his only son who was being worshipped by thousands and, and a myriad of angels in heaven. No, far away from all the sin. No, he decided to actually immerse himself in our world. 
to see the sin, he would have been absolutely surrounded by sin. You know, we find it difficult to see sin sometimes. But when you become more sensitive to sin, you see it around you more and more. Can you imagine the only begotten Son of God, the amount of sin he would have seen around him? He would have been surrounded by it every day of his life. From his parents, to his family, to whatever friends he had and his disciples, he would have seen sin coming out of their mouth every minute of the day. People reacting to things and saying things, and he would have realised you, your heart's not right with God. But yet he put up with it. Put up with it for 33 years. And for three years of his life he spent teaching a group of men who by the end of those three years still didn't get it. God is a source of salvation. And when he carried, when he died on that cross, he carried, as it were, as it were all of our sin for those three days. He carried our sin and he had them fully paid for by the end of the three days and he rose again. Jonah, after three days and three nights, found himself being spat out on a shore. Now, I'm not sure if that, picture, that shore is a picture of heaven or if that shore is a picture of us being born again. Because when Jonah was spat out, he had a job to do, didn't he? His job was to obey God and to tell what he knew to them now when when we come out of being born again when we when we our sin is 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 done away with and god says here go go and tell everyone what's happened to you go and tell them about the wonderful things because you know jonah had a wonderful story to tell didn't he I disobeyed God, I was running the other way and there was a huge storm and, and they threw me in the thing and you know what? I've been in a fish for three days. That's a story. I'm sure there'd be a big praise item in church if we had it on a um, during prayer and praise time. It wouldn't be one of those stories you'd easily forget. But scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, who hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So just as Jonah was saved from a watery grave and then sent out with a message of reconciliation that God wanted the Ninevites to reconcile themselves to him, we have exactly the same calling. We've been cleansed and we have found ourselves, if we are born again, in Christ. Saved in him. Safe in him. The term in Christ is used, I'm not sure if you've, if you've noticed this, over and over and over again in Scripture and the New Testament. In Christ. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come, and come short of the glory of God. We know that very well, don't we, that verse. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. We find life in him. And if we are in him, we have an eternal security that the world doesn't have. We have protection. We have peace. Ephesians 2.6 says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The only reason that one day we can stand at the gates of heaven and they're going to let us in, 
Now, I don't think St. Peter's going to be waiting there at the front, but they're going to be letting us in is only because we are in him, in Christ. Because our identity, who we are, is somehow linked to him. And because he is in, we can be in too. That's a wonderful thing for us. Because if, if it was up to me to get myself in, and I had no one else to turn to and say, um, they'll say, why, do you, why, do you need, why should I let you in? What answer could I possibly give them? What answer could I give the Lord and say to the, to the question, why should I let you into heaven? I have no, nothing good. I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. I've sinned plenty of times in my life. I'm not perfect either. So why should I enter into heaven? For no reason at all. Other than I am in him. And because he did it all already. When a man finds himself in Christ, he has become a new creature. He is redeemed and already made a heavenly being. Now that's a big one for us to understand. That... That very thing where it says that we sit with Christ in heavenly places, God has already made us citizens of heaven. You and I already carry the passport from heaven. Do you understand that? Do you understand you are already a citizen of heaven? Now, some people love to have dual passports. Some people love that. I know some, some family members who you know, love to have an Italian passport and an Australian passport. I don't know what benefits there are to having two passports. Maybe they think if there's a war over here, they can run over there. And if there's a war over there, they can stay over here. I don't know. But we have, in a sense, citizenship in heaven. And do we have citizenship on earth? The answer is no. We've relinquished our citizenship. We are no longer citizens here. I'm not sure if you've ever grasped that idea. We are citizens in heaven. In other words, our passport is a heavenly passport. We are here on assignment. We are here as ambassadors. An ambassador who has been placed in another country represents the country that he's from. But he is not a citizen of that new country. He only represents the old country or the other country. We are citizens of heaven. We are not citizens here any longer. That's why the Bible says that we are strangers and pilgrims in this place. We have no place that we can say, this is our home. We are here only to represent the king and the kingdom that we are part of. You today, if you've accepted Christ as your saviour, if you are in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. Now, if citizens... Citizenship has its privileges, doesn't it? I won't go too much into that. But think about it. Think about your citizenship. How much do you value it? How much do you think about it? Did Jonah deserve to be saved from a watery grave? Nope. He didn't deserve to be saved. God didn't have to prepare the fish. He could have let Jonah drown. And he would have had every right to do it. 
Do you and I deserve to be saved from a fiery grave? No. Didn't deserve it, still don't. And God has chosen to save us despite our own sin. He came looking for us when we were utterly lost, rebellious and running away from him. And some of us, unfortunately, even after he saves us, decide to keep running. We decide to keep running in the wrong direction. But Jonah's response to the first thing, that God provides salvation, was all of chapter 2 in Jonah. He spent a whole chapter praising God for the salvation that he had. Did he appreciate it? For sure he appreciated it. He was praying from the belly of a fish. Okay, He appreciated But then, when he was spat up on land, and he went, he went ahead and did his job, did he still show God the appreciation for his salvation? No. They're caught up in all his problems. They're caught up in all his emotions and his hatreds and all that sort of stuff. He, didn't, he did not appreciate the heart of his own saviour, the one who saved him. The second one, Jonah chapter 4 verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah and it might be, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from the grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad. That's an interesting one. Jonah went up out of the city. He builds himself a little booth. He builds himself like a whether it was with a few branches or whatever it might have been, um, and he decided to sit and watch. Reminds me of a, um, you know those um, uh, corporate boxes that you buy at the football game. You know, when you're a businessman, you can, you can sit there and watch the football and watch the, watch the proceedings from a corporate box. He built off a little box that he was going to watch the proceedings and he was going to wait there until he saw the fireworks of, of fire being rained down from heaven. But apparently he didn't build that box too well because he was still in, uh, in grief. So God decided to show him mercy. And God allows a gourd. Now, you know, when, when I first looked at this thing and my understanding of a gourd was always those little, you know those, those things you see? Those little... Um, there's different types of gourds, okay? There's all different types of them. And they, all come, they come in different shapes and sizes. And some people make little water canisters out of them. And you can do all types of things. You can paint faces on them and things. Some are good to eat. But it wasn't this huge like, thing that was covering his head, like a, like a big uh, uh, pumpkin. It was the plant. The plant. Have you seen a, uh, what a pumpkin, pumpkin plant's like? You know, they've they got these big leaves... And they like creepers, all right? So what this thing did was over that silly hut that he built for himself, God allowed this, this gourd plant to grow over it with his big, beautiful leaves. So he was perfectly in the shade. And he loved the gourd. He loved it because it was perfect. Imagine if he had a beautiful uh, covering all over him with these beautiful uh, um, leaves. Yeah, even in his anger and his stubbornness. Because, I mean, how stubborn would you have to be? Think about it. He just preached to the Ninevites. They'd repented the whole city. 
And instead of rejoicing and saying, God, I did the job for you, might not be too happy, but okay, I did the job, thank you very much. He decides to go and watch to see whether God's going to change his mind. This guy must have had a seriously hard head. I actually think sometimes he was Calabrian, but I'm not sure. He was seriously hard-headed and, and consistent with his hardness. And he decides to build this, this thing for himself, just to cover himself a bit, you know, so he doesn't get too much sun or whatever. But his covering was insufficient. That's why God actually allowed the gourd to, plant to grow over the whole thing. But he was a bit like, he reminded me of Adam and Eve. You know Adam and Eve, when they, when they found themselves to be naked because of their sin, right? what did they try and do? They tried to sew a few fig leaves together and cover themselves up and God had to step in and say, don't worry about that, let me take care of it. And God actually prepared them proper coverings. And, and Jonah was in the same boat. Sinful as he was, stubborn as he was, he tried to cover himself up and God says, no, that's not a good enough covering for you. Let me, let me cover you properly. God was very gracious to Jonah. He could have let him cook out there in the heat. He didn't. God graciously allowed a gourd to grow over Jonah so he felt refreshed. Once again, we see God growing the gourd. He did nothing to grow the gourd. God gave him something he didn't deserve. And God even gave him the gourd in his hardened state. In the same way, God provides for people in the world, not just to the good, God provides even for the evil people in the world. He gives necessities of life which not only protect people and, and us, people like us as well, and feed and help us to grow, he also provides things that make people heart, people's hearts glad. Refreshment. Companionship. Wealth. Assets. Those things gladden people's hearts. You know, if you've, you've got a house, you might have a house and you might say, I'm really thankful for my house. You know, but when it reaches 40 degrees outside and you've got no air conditioning... You might think a little bit differently. But if you've got air conditioning, is your heart gladder? Yeah. Because then you're not sweating in, the, in, in, a, in, a, in an oven. Do you understand what I'm saying? God allows us to have blessings in our lives that, that gladden our hearts. And he does this. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Matthew 5.44, Jesus says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. See, God provides to all types of people. He doesn't have to. But he does. God allows good things to happen to people. He gives those things. God gave the gourd plant, the gourd, to Jonah. He didn't deserve it. 
God gives us things that we don't deserve. Many things that we don't deserve. Things that deliver us from our grief, that help us in our grief, that comfort our hearts. Even the warmth of the sun that shines on your face on a cold day is a blessing that God doesn't have to give us. The rain that comes after a dry spell, something he doesn't have to give us. He understands that our lives can be hard and he provides things that comfort us during these times. Jonah's response to the God was he was glad. But the question really beckons is, was he thankful? It doesn't say that he thanked God. It says that he was glad because of the gourd. In other words, he, accept, he, he loved the gourd. He loved, he loved the fact that, you know, that he had that there and it was shading him from the sun. But we don't see anywhere where he says, thank you God for giving this gourd. I don't, never deserved it. Lesson. We should never forget to be thankful for everything we have from God. We have so many things. I know, that, I know we live in a, in a country that's so rich. And yet, Aussies seem to be the biggest whingers. We, we have things that most of the world don't have. We have blessings that other people only dream of. Some people live on a dollar a day. Can't even buy a cup of coffee for a dollar. We live, we have a very expensive lifestyle in this country. Yes, we are blessed, but we should be thankful and never take for granted everything that we have. Some make it a rule to give thanks before their meals. Is that right? Is that a good thing? But I say we should be thankful for everything we have. Everything. We should be praying all day long saying thank you Lord for the clothes that I wear thank you Lord for the family that's around me thank you Lord for the prayers of my church when I go through certain things thank you Lord for the for the food that's in my fridge thank you Lord for the car that I can drive and thank you Lord for the blessings I have at work that I can actually work and earn a living thank you Lord for my beautiful family that I've got thank you Lord for how thank you Lord for whatever it is because when you start to think about the blessings that you have, you quickly realise that the things you don't have aren't that much. We spend probably more of our time thinking about the things that we don't have rather than the things that we actually have. So we need to be thankful because God gives generously. Third point. Verse 7 says, But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered, God prepared a worm. Was that nasty? He gave him the gourd, so he's all happy about the gourd, and the very next day God creates a worm that eats the gourd and the gourd withers and dies. You know something, if God gives blessings to us which we don't deserve, does he have the right to take them away? Of course he does. He has every right to take them. In this case, God took away that plan. 
Was it because God wanted to be nasty? No. I don't believe God is ever nasty. God doesn't do things out of nastiness because it would be incompatible with the heart of love that he has. But God was teaching Jonah a lesson here. God realised that the gourd was a problem for Jonah. Jonah didn't appreciate God. He appreciated the gourd. Jonah loved the gift rather than the giver of the gift. This morning, for the first time, I'm preaching from this thing. You might say, look at that. Isn't Pastor Frank really progressive? Uh, I didn't want to be progressive, to be honest with you. It's harder to preach in this than from the printed page. But, as you know, we've moved into a new house. And we've moved computers and, and com- printers and everything else that goes along with it. And you know what? When we got home yesterday afternoon, we realised that there was no power cable for the printer. No power cable, right? So that there was no electricity feeding into the printer. So... I said, Lord, I need a printer cable. And um, went looking throughout the whole house and I found another printer cable. Right? We plugged in, we got the power going. But there was no cable to connect the printer to the computer. So they couldn't talk to each other. And God provided that cable as well. There was a cable that was sitting upstairs and it was hiding away somewhere and I eventually got that because we were worried about printing the, um, the bulletins this morning. We thought, oh, no bulletins. That'll be the end of the world here, won't it? If there were no bulletins. It's the things we worry about. So eventually we um, got the, the computer hooked up and the printer talking to each other, which was absolutely fantastic. And then I said, Miria, we're all good to go. And then we started to look and I opened up the drawer where the paper was and there was 25 sheets of paper. My sermons take up about seven sheets which was a big dilemma because you either 25, it's either 25, uh, what's it called, bulletins or eight pages of a sermon and <laughs> 17 pages of, of bulletins. That was a huge dilemma for us last night. But I said, I'll tell you what, do the um, bulletins. So we printed about 25 bulletins over there. And, and uh, I said, I'll, I'll try and print my sermons on the back of other paper. So I worked on my other computer to do the sermon, my laptop, and then I emailed that sermon to my other computer, the one that's hooked up to the printer, and I said, fantastic, tomorrow morning I'll, just, I'll put some paper in there, I'll download the email through my phone, because my phone's my, uh, my wireless at the moment, through the hotspot, and then I thought I'll print it up, we're all done, doesn't matter if it's printing up on the back of some other paper, doesn't matter. The email never came. So after all that, after all that working out, it's amazing how small things wreck big things. Have you ever noticed that? It's the little foxes that ruin everything. Not the big, sometimes not the big things in your life, it's sometimes the little tiny things. You got, you, you, everything looks really good as if it's all working out fine. All of a sudden, one thing goes wrong and the whole thing falls apart. That's with everything in life. You might have one, you might have, you might, your health may be perfect until something happens to your little finger. And then all of a sudden it becomes the major issue in your whole life. 
or your car might be working perfectly fine, but then you get a flat tyre on your way to work. And that, that beautiful car you've got that everything else works perfectly in doesn't go anywhere without that tyre. This is the story of a little worm that ruined it all for, for Jonah. That little worm, little worms in our lives can ruin things that we sometimes take for granted, can't they? Sometimes we don't appreciate what we actually have until the little worm comes in and sort of ruins the whole thing and then we realise how much we depend on those things. God has the right to take away whatever he has given to us because we didn't deserve it in the first place. Everything we have is because of God's graciousness and his love, not our own worth. Do you agree with me on that? Everything you have, you didn't deserve and you and I did not deserve. It's only because God chose to give them to us. Not even the breath that we breathe, we deserve because we all deserve to die. We all deserve to be thrown into hell. It's true. Everything we have, nothing is really earned. Everything is given to us. The question is, how much do we cry when those things are taken away? Ever seen those movies with the kids holding a lollipop? Or an ice cream and someone comes by and... <laughs> and all of a sudden, that lollipop or that ice cream is the whole world to that child. And the whole world falls apart because of a lollipop or an ice cream. But we do the same, don't we? Sometimes the little things in our lives that, that we lose or don't go right end up becoming huge dramas for us. But God has the right to take whatever he's given us away. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled shall be saved by his life. Did you see what it says? It says that we were God's enemies. Does an enemy deserve to live? An enemy deserves to be shot. We were in war with God. We were at war with God. We were his enemies. And he, just, he decided to be gracious to us. Did Jonah deserve the God plan? No. Was Jonah continuing to disobey God? Yes, he was. Jonah thought he had a, he had a pretty good. He had a great vantage point from where he was uh, high up. He was comfortable in the shade. He, had a high, he was like a high-flying businessman looking from his, uh, his corporate box, waiting for the uh, Ninevites to be destroyed by God. He was... Have you heard of the phrase, rubbing his hands? To see what God would do. The things in this life can go as quickly as they come. Nothing is certain in this life. Nothing physical will last. And we have to be careful that we don't depend on the physical world rather than God. Whether it's your home, your assets, your money, your relationships, your career, your work, your investments or your health, none of those things will last. Eventually we'll all get sick and die. 
eventually we'll all end up in the same place, unless there's a rapture. We can't rely on the physical things in this world. So the question I need you to ask yourself this morning is, how much are you relying on the physical things that the giver has given you? And what would happen if he ever took them away from you? The gifts may come and go, but the giver is always constant. The giver is always there. That's why we have this beautiful verse that we we like to use as our church motto, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And regardless of my circumstances, regardless of everything that, that might happen around me, regardless of whether I gain or lose or whatever, whatever happens, he's there. He's constant. He's always with me. So, God provides salvation. God provides blessings in our lives. God can take away blessings from our lives. And the final thing here, in verse 8, And it came to pass that when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the God? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. When God took away the gourd, that blessing from his life, it left him exposed to the elements. But God prepared a wind to make it even more difficult for him. And Jonah, when I look at Jonah, I think of a man who tastes all extremes of life. One day he's sinking in a cold grave of water and the next day or another day he's being cooked alive out on top of a mountain. It's like, it's like extremes from all different, different directions. The Charles Spurgeon once wrote this. He says, It is common for those that have fretful, uneasy spirits to industriously create inconveniences for themselves that resolving to complain, they may still have something to complain about. Now, what does that mean? That's exactly explaining what Jonah was doing. Jonah was a victim of his own devices. Why did he end up in the water? Because he was running away from God. Why was he now being cooked outside on the thing? Because he chose to sit on top of a mountain with no covering. He chose that. He could have simply walked home, but he chose to wait. He chose to do that. And you know something? Have you noticed that when you're angry about something, when you're so worked up about things, or when you're not thinking clearly... The decisions you make actually worsen the things that you, that you do. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you're not in the right frame of mind, that you actually, the choices you make, make your life harder and harder and harder and you don't even realise it. And you just get angrier and angrier and angrier when things keep on going wrong. Well, Jonah's teaching us that lesson. Jonah, because of his anger was continuing to make choices that were making his life harder and harder and harder. Second Chronicles chapter 13 verse 12 say, or says, And behold, God himself is with us for our captain. God is our captain. Okay? He goes ahead of us. He's fighting for us. But then it says, And his priests with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. 
The warning came to Israel when God was their captain. He was heading into battle for them. But they were fighting against him. And the, the message from the prophet is, don't fight against God. You're not going to win. It's not going to cause you any, any, any benefit to fight against God because you won't prosper. Jonah was fighting against God. Jonah spent most of his time fighting against God throughout the whole story over here. Did he prosper in the end? No. Today you may be fighting against God. You may be resisting his will, just like Jonah did. My question is, what are you fighting for? Why fight? If you know God wants you to do something, don't fight against him, because it doesn't benefit you. One of the major things that I want us to learn today is that to follow the Lord in his will, when God asks to do something, is both wise and beneficial. It's wise to follow. When God asks you to do something, it may seem difficult. It may seem to put you out of your way, but it's wise to follow him. Not wise to fight against him, but it's also beneficial for you to obey him. There are blessings when it comes to obeying God. Next week we're going to look at the fact that Jonah went or stayed angry. Or next time we meet. He was angry. And this is the, the main thrust of this, this actual chapter. God starts the chapter with, with pretty much, doest thou well to be angry? And then he finishes the, the, the chapter with, doest thou well to be angry with the good? But the question for you today is, where is your heart in relation to God? God will continue to work in your life and he'll work in ways you may not be seen. The question is, how close is your heart to him today? When God gives you blessings, do you actually give him thanks for the blessings or is your heart focused on the blessing? When God provides salvation, is it him that you're thanking or are you taking advantage of the salvation which is given you when God takes away a blessing do you understand why he may be doing it do you learn from difficult times when those east winds come when the storms come in your life God may be sending you storms in your life because you're holding on to sin and he's trying to get your attention Where is your treasure this morning? Jonah's treasure was in his hatred for the Ninevites. Jonah's treasure he found in a gourd plant that was growing over his head. Jonah lost his way. But the Lord says, And seek not you what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knoweth that, he, that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags 
which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, no, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure today? Is your treasure in Jesus Christ? The greatest treasure you can have is to have him. Is your heart knit with him at the moment? Or is your heart away from him? Are you enjoying all the blessings that he's giving and all the other things that are going on? And when things go wrong, you want to blame him for those things? I can just see Jonah's reaction when God said to him, Doest thou well to be angry for the good? Instead of saying, sorry, Lord, I shouldn't be so caught up in a plant. I should pick up and leave. And thank you that you've allowed me to, to preach to these people and that they're saved now. Instead, Jonah turned to God and said, yeah, I do. I'm right to be angry, even to death. Is that how we find ourselves sometimes? Examine our hearts today. Is your heart with God or is it still stuck in the world? Remember where your citizenship is. God bless you. Thank you.